Agriculture Bill returned to the Commons last week with recommended amendments from the Lords to protect British food standards. Was it good news? MPs didn't even get a vote on one of the most important amendments made by the House of Lords to the Agriculture Bill. What are the young farmers up to as their new year gets underway? National Young Farmers have come up with a, a YFC Welly Relay, which is basically travel the distance between each club in your county and then pass the virtual Welly back to another county. Sean's here with some timely agronomy advice for the week. Kit from Openfield takes a look at the markets for us and we'll see what the weather holds for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you had a good week. I'm Steve Orchard. Let's start with a quick look at the farming headlines. Bovine TB incidents among herds in England have fallen to their lowest level since 2007, according to government data. The NFU described the results as encouraging news and further evidence that the government's TB eradication policy was beginning to have effect. But a group of vets are calling on the government not to end badger control, risking a rise in the likelihood of TB. That is proposed to take effect from the mid-2020s. A high degree of volatility in the markets is expected over the winter, with political and economic uncertainty continuing. Kit Dickinson has this week's market report later in the programme. But more stable dairy profits are forecast for the year to next March. According to the Farm Consultancy Group, they are expected to stay at current levels with the average profit per cow at £233 last year, based on an average price of 31 pence per litre. At the start of last week, the Agriculture Bill returned from the Lords to the Commons with some amendments recommended by the peers. We reported on the farming programme last week that the government had indicated that it would not accept the recommendations when the bill came back. And that's exactly what happened. Stuart Thomas, Deputy President of the NFU, and George Dunn, Chairman of the Tenant Farmers Association, join us this morning. George, first, what's your reaction to this? Well, it is massively disappointing on two fronts, Steve. First of all, MPs didn't even get a vote on one of the most important amendments made by the House of Lords to the Agriculture Bill, which was to extend and improve the remit of the uh, Agricultural and Trade Standards Commission that was created by the government on the grounds, apparently, that the House of Lords isn't allowed to interfere on things which may cause the Exchequer greater expense. I, I can't really see how the Lords Amendment would have done that. So they didn't even get a vote on that. And the second amendment, Steve, was the amendment from Lord Grantchester, which was simply to put in a provision which protected uh, the standards that we adhere to in the UK for farming purposes, for the environment, for animal welfare and food safety, which the government decided they didn't need. Stuart Roberts, was this maintenance of food standards not part of the Conservative manifesto? It was. It was absolutely a central plank of their manifesto, if not undermining our standards. We have, uh, as you well know, some of the highest animal welfare, environmental, food safety standards in the world. Um, But we can't just take it on trust. We've got to see something in legislation. And, And all we're actually asking for here is some transparency around future trade deals Uh, and making sure that we protect uh, not just the standards that farmers produce to, but the standards that consumers expect. And those people who signed uh, our petition earlier in the year 
have demanded from government. The government say they need flexibility in negotiating trade agreements. George, is this just so we can do a deal with the Americans? Well, it's very difficult to say. Obviously, an American trade deal is a large uh, prize that the government wants to achieve, but it is looking at other parts of the world as well. And we know that other countries like Australia, like New Zealand, have a particularly free trade stance uh, in terms of their engagement with other countries in the world. So I, I, I feel that the government's intention is simply not to tie its hands so that it can do a deal with whoever it wants in the future without necessarily having to look back at the legislation they, they drew up uh, in 2020 to, to protect those standards. So we know the views of farmers. We know there's been this huge petition of a million people, the consumers, because farmers are one thing, yes, but consumers are the other. Is there anything more that can be done? Well, look, there is. This piece of legislation is is still going through the House. We still have amendments to come, I hope, from the Lords uh, back into the Commons. We've heard uh, a number of MPs spoke so eloquently in the House about uh, preserving standards. So uh, this absolutely is not over uh, at all yet. Well, it is for a couple of weeks at least. George and Stuart, thanks for joining us this morning. I have a feeling we'll be talking again soon. To agronomy now. Good morning, Sean. It's quite an incredible situation, that, isn't it? Yes, morning, Steve. Yeah, there's not an awful lot I can add to that, really. I'm, I think you should keep your finger over the five-second delay button, though, just in case I do get charging into it. I think it's an absolute disgrace what's happened this week. All the promises from the MPs that they would never allow any legislation through the House which could possibly compromise our high world-recognised animal welfare standards, the food and quality standards that we have here in the UK. Nothing they could ever do through the House would disadvantage UK growers in the wider market. And then they almost all vote against the one amendment to the Agriculture Bill which would have protected in law UK producers and those high food standards. Absolutely shameful. Every single one of them who voted against them should be hanging their head in shame. They say you don't know what you've got till it's gone. But I think that lot down in Westminster know precisely what they've got. They're just too arrogant to think they could possibly lose it. Food is fundamental to our lives. So why is it so low down in their priorities? I, I find it, you know, heartbreaking, but fundamentally absolutely shameful so nothing's really changed out there since last week in terms of crops in the field because of the weather and the fact we haven't got an awful lot done so let's just talk about glyphosate the last couple of weeks has been black grass flushing season and some of the September drill crops that went into black grass land across the UK are now being pulled up and re-drilled because of the flush of the black grass which had come up with the crop itself, despite all those expensive pre-emergence herbicide stacks. Remember, you get about 80% control from a pre-em, and 80% control of 500 black grass plants a square metre still leaves you with 100 black grass plants, which is way too many, and that will compromise the final yield. So in the words of the song, you're probably better to rip it up and start again. Those farmers who have waited on the black grass land and have been enviously coveting the neighbouring fields, of wheat as they pop up in beautiful green rows 
I think you've got it absolutely right on your black grassland. And I think unquestionably it was the right decision to make. Um, glyphosate gives you 100% control when it comes to controlling the black grass, which is there. So well-timed glyphosate is the key to the whole season, really. And this time of year, bearing in mind it's getting cooler by night. The other night, Wednesday into Thursday, it got down to 2.5 degrees Celsius with us at home. So we're getting colder nights, shorter days, cooling soils, colder day temperatures, shorter periods of intense sunlight and the sunlight decreasing in intensity all the time. That means that giving the glyphosate the time to work is very, very important. A month ago, you would spray it and then cultivate within six hours. Now you need to be leaving nearer 24, probably even 36 hours to make sure it's into the plant. Get it onto a drying leaf, get good coverage and use at least 720 grams per hectare of active ingredient. Then you need to get your pre-em onto any drill crop that stack on as soon as you can, faster than a sour plum and you can't do any more than that now the more cloddy the seedbed the more likely slugs are to be an issue for you so get your traps out and use your knowledge of your farm to know where the potential problems are barley yellow dwarf virus as well this is usually the driver for any post-emergence herbicide sprays and as things cool down aphid activity will slow so we've seen that this week we've seen it aphid activity reduce quite dramatically where we're struggling to really find them now but all those uncontrolled volunteer cereals around the county on thousands and thousands of acres because of the harvest losses will be providing a primary source of infection. And if temperatures increase and rainfall reduces, as they are forecasting, yes, please, hope you get it right this time, chaps at the Met Office, then aphid pressure will once again step up. And it's the secondary spread phase which is the bigger threat to those cereal crops. And that risk is calculated using the T-sums from crop emergence. So if you use three leaves as the growth stage to watch for, that's when the risk to the crop from BYDV becomes real. Then your T-sums need to add up to 170 degrees. There is a little app called BYDV Assist. Have a look to it on your app store or wherever you get your apps from. It's a useful guide. It's free. It's a little app, easy to use. You put your location in, the drilling date and the emergence date, and it will calculate the T-sums for you based upon local weather. So if you use that three-leaf stage um, and you look out there for the grain aphid, which have black legs, black siphunculi or exhaust pipe, and the bird cherry oat aphid, which has a little red backside, they're the main vectors. They carry it in their saliva, but only between 5 and 10% of the adult population carry that virus. So just looking at the numbers of money spiders out there and the, the gossamer thread which coats these fields in the morning, I would say there are far more little money spiders than there are aphids. They're predating on the aphids, so give IPM a chance to do the job rather than charging in with insecticides. If you do go drilling, as I say, 250 to 275 seeds per metre squared now, um, if you're spraying any post-dam herbicides, by the way, just watch the frost, particularly the first frost. As these crops emerge, they have a very thin wax layer. That's what's protecting them from the surfactants and the, the stickers and the wetters and the extenders that are in the chemistry that you're using. So if you were to get a frost on the Monday night, you get no frost on the Tuesday night, you could spray on the Wednesday. But you need that 24-hour period to rebuild the wax, which will come back twice as thick. Once that's happened and that 24-hour gap from the first spray, the first frost has happened, then just stop spraying by about 3.30 in the afternoon if there's another frost forecast. So things like 
HBNs, the hydroxybenzonitriles, the bromoxanils act like a hormone. You combine that with the frost and you can really scorch a crop. Also, phosphate and potash will be crucial this autumn, especially if you didn't get them on last year because of the weather. Potash more especially. You know, you take straw and grain off a field. That's moving massive amounts of potash away from the field in particular. So make sure you're accounting for all of that in these fields. So the swallows have now gone. The clocks soon go back. Winter is coming. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks, Sean. Have a good week and we'll catch up with the Lincolnshire Young Farmers and hear their plans for the year ahead in a moment and welcome a new regular voice to the programme with our first update of the season on the Sugar Beet campaign. Plus, Kit's here with the markets and we'll see what the weather holds for us for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Time to welcome a new regular voice to the farming programme now. Tessa Seymour is head of Newark Agriculture at British Sugar and will be updating us as to the progress of the beet campaign and other sugary matters. Morning, Tessa, and welcome to the farming programme. Morning, thank you very much. Let's get an update on where we are with the campaign. So Newark was our first factory, as always, to start its campaign. started in late September, but all the factories are now um, up and running, which is great. Sugar content that we've seen coming in at the moment is slightly lower than we usually expect at the start of campaign, at just above 16%. But it's still really early and there's time for this to increase. Dirt tears about 5%, which is about average at the moment. Uh, hopefully, if the weather holds, then it'll remain about that anyway. Overall, the factory is running uh, pretty well at the moment, so that's great news. But because of the beet supply, we are limiting um, the throughput at the factory, especially over the last few weeks. But this is due to various conditions. It has been a bit wet, which makes harvesting a little bit more difficult. Uh, and as we've discussed, yields have been uh, lower than average, and some growers are going to want to leave the beet in longer. So that makes sense. But, so we're just working with the factory to accommodate that. Um, and as always, we want everyone to continue to deliver beet, um, but with their safety being the first priority. Lovely. Good. And how's the crop looking? So we know it's been a difficult year due to the extreme weather for many crops and sugar beet, unfortunately, is no different. So the emerging part population was mixed uh, and in some cases very poor. It's uh, still too early to tell final yields, uh, but across the site we are seeing some good yields uh, along some that are, have fallen by as much as 40% as a result of the virus yellow impact and the growing conditions. Uh, we do expect yields to be um, lower compared to the five-year average, um, a, a current approximation of about between 10 to 15% lower. Uh, but we thank uh, the growers for their persistence and hard work in what has been a really difficult year amid challenging growing conditions and the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, we must talk about virus yellow. How's that affecting things? We've introduced a £12 million virus yellow assurance fund in our contract for next year. This is provided by British Sugar and will compensate growers for a portion of yield losses suffered where virus yellow is present in their crop. Uh, we also continue to work with the NFU and British Beach Research Organisation to identify um, alternative solutions for controlling virus yellows. So as an industry, uh, we have highlighted the current challenges to government and are calling for their support for our virus yellow pathway to help us tackle the disease uh, both in the immediate future and the longer term. So what, what some of it, obviously, our, our virus yellow pathway would be the uh, virus yellow assurance fund and access to sprays, current seed uh, breeding programs and improved grower practices, which will be driven by the British Beet Research Organisation. Now, 
Let's talk about ATQ. So this is the autonomous uh, tariff quota. So um, in the publication of the UK global tariff, we were pleased to see that tariffs remain the same for the import of beef and cane into the UK, which is crucial so that distorted markets don't have an unfair access to the UK market and advantage over our successful homegrown sugar industry. However, we were then disappointed and surprised to see the introduction of an autonomous um, tariff quota for sugar cane. So we welcomed the recent uh, public consultation and submitted our views uh, to it that all uh, this will do is to provide a free subsidy for cane coming into the UK at the expense of UK farmers. So hopefully we'll get more details on that um, soon after the consultation period. Okay, Tessa, do keep us in touch with how things go with that, won't you? Yes, we definitely will do. Great. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme. We'll have another update in a month's time. Super. Thank you. Take care. Young farmers play a very important part in the local and national fabric of agricultural life in very many ways, one of which is their important fundraising activity. And with Young Farmers Week just days away, I caught up recently with Kate Knight, Strategic Development Manager for Lincolnshire Young Farmers. We sat, at a distance, in the lovely surroundings of the University of Lincoln's Rice Home College and Kate told me about her fundraising plans. You're focusing efforts in a different direction to previous years, aren't you? This year we're taking a slightly different approach to Young Farmers Week, led by National Young Farmers. We're working on a a big fundraiser for counties. You know, there is going to be some deficit in counties and clubs due to, obviously, the the pandemic. So National Young Farmers have come up with a a YFC Welly Relay, which is basically travel the distance between each club in your county and then pass the virtual Welly back to another county. So I'm hoping Lincolnshire members are going to embrace this. They're they're pretty good at fundraising. As you probably recall, we raised £47,500 for kidney research a, a few years ago. But now, it's it's kind of our turn to raise a bit of money for ourselves. National Young Farmers have set up a Just Giving page and we're obviously going to do a lot of work with our supporters and um, our members to try and raise awareness of, of, of much needed funds in counties and particularly in clubs. What kind of things are you going to be doing? Well, I'm hoping that our members are going to go out in their small bubbles and... Uh, walk the streets between their um, clubs, perhaps wearing wellies and maybe some other sort of fancy dress. They don't have to walk it, they can do it on a mode of transport, they can do it in their back garden and obviously we're going to do loads on social media and and hope that those that have supported us in the past will dig deep and support us again. During Young Farmers Week we've also got the Achiever Awards, tell us about that. This again, a new initiative from um, National Young Farmers uh, for counties to recognise achievements of their members from the year gone and um, they had several categories and we put some uh, nominations in for several of those categories Um, community supporter of the year which was a member uh, community spirit which was for a club and um, entrepreneur of the year and my favorite one which is heart of yfc award so we put Uh, nominations in for all of those um, and maybe some of the other categories as well. The heart of the YFC award um, we put in a really fantastic uh, member that really has been committed to supporting and developing YFCs both the county and the club and um, really epitomises this sort of ethos of YFC so I'm not obviously going to say who it is, but I've got my fingers crossed that that person will be shortlisted. And um, I'll certainly be shouting from the rooftops if we win some of those. And when will we know the results? 
I think the results are going to be announced each day through Young Farmers Week. So that's the 26th of October to the 30th. And um, national have shortlisted, as I understand, and they've got sort of national level judges now judging those. So uh, it's, you know, watch this space in that week. And how will we find out the results? on all our social media platforms as normal so you can always find Lincolnshire Young Farmers on Facebook, Twitter Instagram, Snapchat and our good old fashioned website um, and we'll be doing you know, lots on, on our social media both both for the Achiever Awards and also obviously the, the Welly Relay so you know, follow us on social media and, and it'll all be there How is Young Farmers working under the current pandemic restrictions Kate? Prepared and organised youth work is currently exempt from the bubble of six so prepared organised youth work can meet in groups of 15 plus two or up to four supervisors so currently what our clubs are kick-starting their clubs they're starting to meet again doing normal activities we're working really hard with covid secure venues and presents new challenges but exciting new challenges as well and um, and we'll be you know encouraging new members we've had plenty of people asking if they can join so I don't think it's putting people off in fact quite the opposite people want to be able to members want to be able to get together and fill that social gap Um, we've had our natural break over summer anyway while all our farmers have been out farming and our non-farmers have been you know getting ready to go so we're we're back on it and um, you know hoping that new members will arrive and um, our activities will start in the different way but certainly getting going. Kate, thanks very much for uh, meeting me at this lovely setting and looking out over the lawn and over the lovely buildings at uh, University of Lincoln Rice on campus. And good luck with the new year. Thank you. The day Kate and I met was the day of the special general meeting of Lincolnshire Young Farmers to vote in their new team for the year ahead. Matt Stovid has completed his slightly extended year and we now know that the chairman for the year ahead is Charlotte Garbutt. Congratulations, Charlotte. Young Farmers Week runs from October the 26th to the 30th and if you want to get involved in the week or find out more about Young Farmers go to linksyfc.org.uk Time for a look at the markets and prices Welcome Kit Dickinson from Openfield Good morning Well good morning Steve UK prices have settled into a narrow trading range with little fresh news currently If anything the UK has lost ground against the Matif which is now a premium to UK futures on the front month positions This is largely because the UK futures market appears to have addressed the technical squeeze which saw November trade as a premium to the deferred months, whilst Matif is still staring down the barrel of an 11.5 million metric tonne open position on the December contract. Nearby, demand continues to dominate the global export market, which varies tenders announced to Jordan, Pakistan, Algeria, Turkey, Ethiopia to name a few, and which is pushing prices higher. Algeria surprisingly returned for November shipment buying 600,000 tonnes of EU wheat despite concerns that the Black Sea wheat may figure since Algeria have changed their buying terms. The EU has priced itself back into the export matrix as the Black Sea and exports surge along with record domestic prices. It is interesting to note that the Ukraine has exported circa 9 million metric tonnes already, having agreed an export quota of 17.5 million metric tonnes with shippers for the whole season. Farmers in the Black Sea and the EU are unsurprisingly relaxed sellers, particularly whilst weather concerns persist, and there is unlikely to be much respite until the southern hemisphere wheat becomes available in the second half of the season. On a weather front, there have been some hints of wetter weather 
in the US Plains, Russia, Ukraine, Argentina and Western Australia, although the confidence factor is low on timings and amounts. Moving forward to barley, old crop markets have been very quiet as the focus remains on execution of existing contracts. The UK shipping programme has also started in earnest, and with the ongoing political rhetoric not giving any clue as to the future trade relations, then the brisk pace should remain through to Christmas. With little fresh market activity, values have remained relatively static. With all the focus on the current crop, it is easy to forget next year. Whilst still relatively early, there have been one or two contracts issued for the 2021 crop to start the ball rolling. Expectations are for the retracement of spring barley area from last year's peak following a start position to the winter planting campaign. As we move through to October, it is worth checking moistures in your heaps as movements to domestic consumers will become problematic if loads are wet. Looking at all seed rate, the UK has been on the defensive since last week's positions stock and production report over the US pushed the US soybean values to recent highs. Whilst the broader oil seeds complex continues to see support from the lower availability and dry weather in South America delaying plantings and China continuing to buy US soybeans, UK domestic markets, taking their lead from Matif futures, have seen a decline over the week. UK consumers reluctantly followed markets higher as they have been quick to follow back down again. Futures have lost €2 over the week with sterling easing and nearly £5 as the appetite was reduced. Little has changed fundamentally with very few offerings being seen in the market. We now know that imports have already started with nearly 100,000 tonnes brought in in September which may cap gains in the short term. However, the UK requires a substantial volume of imports to balance the books for this year. Further afield, rapeseed harvest has started in Australia and has a seemingly clear run for the next few days. All eyes will be on the crop production down there and what they will be able to offer into the export markets in the coming months. Prices this week, feed wheat for October is 181 to 182, 182 to 184 for November, February 185 to 187, May 188 to 190. Milling premiums are currently 20 to 22 pounds. Oilseed rape for October is 342 to 344, November 343 to 345, February 346 to 348, and May 346 to 348. No carry from February onwards. And the same story going into barley, October 133 to 135, November 135 to 137. And that price remains flat all the way through to May at 135 to 137. Malting premiums are holding strong at £10 for a max 185 nitrogen and £20 for a max 165 nitrogen. That's Kit Dickinson from Open Field back with another look at the markets this time next week. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A drier week by the looks of it, the exception being Tuesday and Wednesday when low pressure brings some unsettled weather. Calm, cloudy and mostly dry today, although there will be some light rain in places, highs around 11 Celsius. Monday sees light winds from the south, a mostly cloudy dry day with temperatures up to 12. Tuesday evening sees some heavy rain arriving from the southeast and wind speeds picking up, gusting up to 45 miles per hour on Wednesday as the wind moves round to the southwest and starts to ease off in the evening. 
Warmer through the middle of the week with highs in the mid-teens. The end of the week sees the weather returning a bit more to normal. Light winds from the southwest and mostly dry with some sunny spells. That's it for this week. We'll be back next Sunday as usual, looking at Agritech and plenty more besides with Sam Watson-Jones, founder of the Small Robot Company. In the meantime, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.